Welcome to the Lankin 8 podcast. Uh oh, I'm doing several things at once. I should probably not start this podcast and put something on the stove at the same time while also trying to adjust the uh, recording app settings. Um, yeah, it is the 22nd of March, a Sunday, holding up, as everyone knows, because of this COVID-19 coronavirus threatening the whole world. It's been a while since I made one of these. Um, last one was like well over a month ago, maybe like two months ago, and I didn't even upload it until a few days ago. I didn't put a date on it, so no one knows how old it is. Making myself a coffee for the first time, well, since yesterday. But yesterday when I made a coffee, that was the first time I had a coffee for quite a while. I gave it up. You see, when I was working a day job, I found, I did require coffee in the mornings because I was working a day job and I was going to study uh, at university. Then after I quit the day job, I I decided it was best to just give up the coffee gradually. It took a while, but um, I gave it up and I didn't really need the coffee anymore. But now, now that I've cooped up inside, somehow I kind of have to fight the need to like have daytime naps. Because if I have a daytime nap, um, it's very hard to not have it longer than like half an hour. It usually goes for about three hours. Like I could set a alarm, but I'll I'll just turn it off and go back to sleep because I'll still feel groggy. And then if I have a three-hour nap during the day, guess what? I'm not going to be able to go to sleep until like three in the morning. But I don't want that. I want to be able to get up at seven every day. So. I'm back to drinking coffee in the mornings before... T- oh shit, I've got like half an hour to drink this. Before 10, make sure it's before 10 because I want to go to bed at 10 p.m. You see, coffee coffee stays in your system for like 12 hours. It has a quarter life up to 12 hours, half life up to 6 hours, quarter life up to 12 hours, I think. Um, chocolate's the same, but it's not that bad. I don't really care. not that strong. So, coronavirus, I don't think I have it, this COVID-19. I got a sore throat just when everyone was starting to do the lockdown thing in Australia. Hopefully it was just like a regular head cold, sore throat thing. Um, Took care of it pretty quickly. My superb diet and lifestyle really helps me to get over sickness very quickly not to brag who am I kidding I'll brag (laughs) it's just really good (laughs) sorry I just have a great lifestyle it works ah delicious bulletproof coffee alright so getting into like a momentum Getting the ball rolling has been a bit hard when you're just home all the time. I've got plenty of work to do that I can do from home, but found it difficult to get motivated 
So one thing was, yeah, not just getting sleepy halfway through the day and needing a three hour nap that just uses up all my time. Another thing was just accepting that when you, the first thing in the morning, jumping into work isn't really what you need to do. You gotta get a bit active, use your body a bit. And in the last couple of days, I found that um, just getting up, getting dressed, go to the toilet, have a drink of water, and then go for a walk for about half an hour, come back. And fortunately, we can still, like, there's not a total lockdown here. You, you can still go outside. It's just advised to, you know, not be around people as much as possible. That really clears my head. I don't listen to anything. I don't put on any music or podcasts or anything. When I get back home, make my coffee, maybe watch something on YouTube, just just for fun. Kind of like watching... I think there is something, either it's ingrained in us in the modern times because of modern society, or there's something about it that's intrins intrinsically valuable of just the equivalent of watching like your morning TV shows. Like, I guess back in the old days, it was sitting at the breakfast table and reading the, the morning paper. And in my lifetime, it was watching the morning cartoons before going to school and then as an adult watching, you know, sunrise before going to work or whatever. Something about just getting the news for the day and watching or being involved with a discussion about it for an hour or so as you're waking up and having breakfast and getting ready for the day. And then you're just set, ready to go out and do stuff rather than, you know, have your mind on work first thing. Anyway, so my equivalent of that now is like watching a bit of Joe Rogan. <laughs> it doesn't really work if it's fiction. Fiction's better for the end of the day. That's another thing. I'm watching, watching a movie and then an episode of The Witcher or something before bed most nights. And that's like a good three hours or so of, three to four hours of time that could be spent just trying going over things. But I think uh, after putting the, the, the work in, going through the paces of like just getting a good rhythm of when to work, when to not work, when to, when to be working, when to be leisure, Time for work, time for leisure, and go in and out in the right time. There's a better pattern, there's a better rhythm, and I just seem to find more flow that way. Which is interesting. A bit disappointing where, like, trying to, trying to make yourself just be a workaholic for a week doesn't work. It might be possible to, like, I mean, of course it's possible to get more efficient, get faster at the work part, fit more into the, those windows of time in the schedule but there still needs to be enough leisure one thing that really helps is um just having a checklist like if there's something you you need to be working on chronologically have a list of like i need to work on all these things during this week and then just put ticks of like how many like like i, w I, I worked on it for an hour to half an hour give it a tick and then the next day if you did it again give it another tick and you don't have to do it every day, but you watch your progress over the week, and that helps a lot. Man, speaking of writing things and pinning, pinning up notes, I was in a rut recently. I was in a really dark, depressive state for about a week. It was exactly a week, actually. It pushed me to like find ways of 
making myself feel better because I felt, kept feeling terrible all the time. One thing that helped was realizing that possibly one of the main causes, I think the main cause, I think there were several factors, but the main one was I had been making myself work really hard and I wasn't getting many rewards. I wasn't getting many wins and I wasn't thinking about the wins. I just wanted to I was just burdening myself for the sake of burden, which was fine at first because I had something to do, something that like would have some kind of payoff. But the, there seemed to be a consequence of not having any real material reward or even emotional reward. And I think that really had a psychological effect on me. I kind of, so, so once I had this awareness, I got a piece of paper drew a line down the middle on one side I said wins I wrote wins on the other side I wrote losses so I picked it up because I kept perceiving all these things that were going wrong and I was like I have to concentrate on the positives and so that I can be great grateful because gratitude is what saves you from suffering generally I thought that there has to be things that I'm just not seeing so I kept that on my wall, that piece of paper, and I would write down a win every time, a, a quick description of the win every time I got a win, and a quick descri- description of the loss. Now, if you're going to do this, you don't even have to write down losses. You can just write down lin- wins. I just had wins and losses to prove to myself. Just like, just, 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 I just wanted proof that one was happening more than the other. And you know what happened? I had like a couple of losses on the loss list, but I kept thinking of more and more wins. And over the past few weeks, I'll write down something that really just feels like a win and add it to the win list, which is a very long list. And I've still only got two or three things on the losses list that I currently have up. And I see that list and it makes me feel great. Like there's so many more things to be grateful for than ungrateful for. But yeah, if you try it, and you find that you're writing more things on the losses list, then maybe just have a wins list. (laughs) Just have a win list. Don't have a losses list because you just need to get yourself to focus on on the wins, on the positives, on what to be grateful for. It's only when you have enough focus on what you're grateful for that you can pull yourself into a better place. What's hard is is convincing yourself that what's when 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 things seem horrible and dark and miserable Part of what keeps you in there, in my experience, is the opinion that it's more true, that the harsher world is the more true one. But again, or again, well, it's just a thing about perception. You can compare lives and see who's suffering more, and someone who would be, by many accounts, considered objectively better off may be suffering more simply because of their perception. So it is really just about the focus. And if you find yourself not getting enough wins, that's a good time to try shrinking your goals. Just doing, like one one for me recently, was um, the frustration of being almost 30 and not having a long-term relationship. And that was my goal, to to find someone to be in a relationship with. And it was affecting me so much that it was (laughs) making it, I was making it harder for myself. And I was having an even hard time just finding dates at all. And then I thought, well, if it's this bad, 
what can I do to actually to just like fulfill that even in the slightest bit? And I thought, well, there's a friend of mine, a nice girl who, who will at least have dinner, a platonic dinner date. And I asked her, and then she and she said yes, and then we had dinner together. And it was a little win. And actually, when I went home after that dinner date, um, that's when I started to feeling to feel real good again. I stopped feeling depressed because I was I I I decided to set a small goal, and it was a little win. And it was my first win in a while, and it made me feel a lot better. And then and things got better from then on. I got I went on another date, an actual date, with someone, and that was. Uh, well, that was a pretty good experience, <laughs> and I've been feeling a lot better about my romantic life since then. So, if there's something you're just not achieving, you don't know how to achieve it, just shrink it down to the. See if you can imagine what just a piece of that is like. Just something that's like just like a a a fraction of that big goal you have, and see if you can achieve that thing in its own situation, and see. And, and when you achieve it, see how fulfilled you feel just from achieving that little piece of the bigger thing you want. Because that's the other thing. We don't know what we like. We may... We, it's often said that we don't know what we want. We know what we want, but we don't necessarily want what we like or what we enjoy because we haven't had it yet. If we want something that we haven't had before or haven't had much of, and we expect that it's going to bring us joy or bring us fulfillment. We actually don't know that. So that's the comp so that's kind of what people mean when we say when when we say when, when it's when it is said that people don't know what they want. It's that they don't they haven't experienced what they want. They don't know in its entirety what the thing is that they want. They want it at face value, they know that much. But if you haven't experienced the thing that you want, you actually don't know if you want it or not. Uh, so once again, I've um, been a bit of a half, half-assed? No, just a slack bastard doing even this basic one-person podcast. Got about like, what was that, 16 minutes in? Um, and haven't added anything to it yet. <laughs> And it's several days. It's several days of... No. Christ. Okay, I'm not gonna... I don't know how many days it's been. But it is now the 1st of April that I'm getting back onto this podcast to try and finish it for at least, like, put half an hour on it or something. Um, Alright, but I've got some topics. And I'll tell you what, I just had an idea. I may soon make a filmed episode podcast where I'm just sitting on the couch in front of the camera with a microphone, a proper microphone, and I just go over some of the topics that I've gone over before, things to rant about, things to give advice about, experiences, ponderings, conundrums, all that shit. I had this really nice thought last night. I was watching this YouTube channel, Rationality Rules. And he was doing an update. Not he wasn't doing like an episode. He was doing um, just an update episode because he reached a thousand subscribers or something, or a hundred thousand, maybe I can't remember. One of his questions that he answered was, "If you could change anything in the world, 
what would it be? And he had this idea if he was that he m sort of considers taking away all sentience so that there would be no suffering. We'd, that we'd not like take away all life, but take away all sentience so that we would just exist as we did before, as the most basic life forms, which is interesting. Um, it's kind of a anti-natalist point of view, except without the death, it's just the death of the consciousness. Kind of like the halo rings in the in Taylor and invented to wipe out all life and then clone everything back again. Anyway, I don't think like that. I, I pondered that for a second and I had my own idea if, if I had that same question. If you could change every, something about the world profoundly, what would it be? I don't know if this would be more or less difficult than removing all sentience. I mean, I guess you could just give a massive concussion to every single thing with sentience. <laughs> that kind of seems achievable. No, what I would prefer is to raise, and I'm going to use music terminology as language here because it's the best thing I can think of, and I'm doing a music degree. Um, raise harmony. Raise harmoniousness of things living together and, and consciousness, raise the harmony of consciousness with the universe itself. Um, in order to achieve that, there would need to be, really it's quite simple, better attunement. What does that involve? I don't know exactly, but Jordan Peterson likes to talk about how important it is to be in alignment. And it's a great term, being in alignment. I don't hear much self-help stuff outside of him that uses that particular description alignment and something that's similar to alignment is attunement attunement to reach harmony is what i would change the world for even if it's not perfect harmony even if it's not perfect attunement if it raises everything up to a state of being more aware where it will eventually progress even more that seems like the best thing to do and we do that already with you know education bloody self-help books are a great way of attunement bringing up great, greater harmony my life's definitely way more harmonic with the world around me after all the self-help stuff i've gotten into another topic the misinterpretation very common misinterpretation of the middle ages so Medieval history, let me tell you why it's the best time ever. Criminally underrepresented. Um, I do, I do love, oh, now I'm getting a call, hang on. Okay, so that's, um, kind of kept me out of the loop for a bit. It's been another day. Alright, medieval stuff. I've just got this big old book here called The Atlas of Medieval Man. I'm not gonna read it really, probably. Anyway. I've just got it here to like kind of get myself in the mode. So, man, it's really quite criminal how under badly represented the medieval world is. People say, oh, shit just got medieval, which means it got really savage and brutal and stuff. The thing is, the medieval period was one that appeared after the fall of the great like the Roman Empire and then like a great c c collapse of civilization. 
and there were there were ones going up and down civil great civilizations going rising and falling in like a rotation but the medieval period that was when there was a massive one where there was no big civilization really left over except i think the eastern roman empire the byzantine they kind of that was what was left of the roman empire and it kind of just shrank into this small section which was in now called turkey modern turkey and istanbul um, constantinople so it kind of withdrew into something smaller and more manageable while what were known as barbaric tribes kind of just tore every the rest of it apart there were all these like just i guess hordes that all, all of the civilizations were these more primitive civilizations you could say throughout europe and 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 asia and around and they were developing this is such a basic description i'm not an expert on this i'm just kind of an enthusiast i guess they were getting organized enough and big enough to really shake up the empire but there are also reasons of the empire falling apart within itself because of its own because of its own inner corruptions and something something christianity people were letting go of the multiple gods um the roman god the greco-roman gods and adopting christianity taking on monotheism instead of what do you call it when there's many gods you believe in many gods i don't know pay let's just say paganism and then what do i know christianity over time spread out so the roman empire fell but christianity christianity rose for some reason christianity had this big spread the way that the other monotheist religion judaism didn't judaism's kind of always been on this level i guess it's because of the practices where there's a then there's not a goal to spread it out but christianity's got like this mission of spreading it out everywhere meanwhile because there's no big empire or civilization under emperors or rulers there's like small kingdoms and 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 tribes with like all well, town villages with earls and things and we've got the viking era or the what was it called I'm going to google that what's another name for the migration period okay so this is when you had the vikings which were germanic peoples invent uh so a viking is like ac- actually a job not like a type of person well i mean like not like a civilization of people it's like a type you take up the role of a viking that was them who made their long ships the raiding ships and that was a big big part of migrational period because they could go across the ocean and go up rivers it was big enough to go across ocean small enough to go up rivers and they did a lot of exploring finding new land finding trade and also just wiping out anyone weaker than them if they could pillaging and there are other ways of people exploring they're also like it would have been too early for the mongols but the huns i think they were around in the roman era these great horse tribes massive horse hordes like the dothraki in game of thrones they were also a threat to general popula- populations and earls and kings and rulers just getting greedy and wanting to take over another earl or place so it was a pretty it was a somewhat chaotic world where it was yeah kind of like the wild west of everyone there there were many dangers and there was no great power 
to turn to or to rebel against. And this is when they started to invent castles and cities already existed and great city walls already existed, but these more private castle keeps were now becoming a thing. And they started off with Mutton Bailey, which is where you have a wall just made out of big logs spiked at the top and you have and you make it on a hill and you put like I think the Bailey's on the hill and the Mott is the rest of it, this round castle shaped ring wall. Unless it's the other way around. One of them's the Bailey, one of them's the Mott. So it's like kind of like a wooden castle made on a hill. That's where anyone with any kind of status would set themselves up and house their underlings, eat food and resources. Because it goes back to the most basic needs of tribe of a tribe, where in your own in your own circumstances you can prosper pretty well. But when you have enough outside forces ca causing danger to you, that's when you adapt to that and you have a classism, a class system based. And it's always, it always starts with the warriors being the valuable men and the workers being everyone else who have to feed the workers because uh, the warriors, so the warriors will be like the, f the most athletic members of the tribe. And rather than being useful as hunters and, and laborers, they have to spend all of their time practicing their fighting ability and making and maybe making weapons or having others make weapons for them um they have to be full-time fighters and then it's everyone else's job to feed each other and to feed the fighters suddenly you have these valuable members of the tribe and then what evolves over centuries from that is the descendants of the fighters become the lords the nobles, um, and they set up their hamlets and counties and and castles and keeps and things, um, and that's how they that's how the kings begin. That's and that's why we have so many stories of legends and kings coming from a, a warrior in the past or being descended from a warrior in the past, because on an on a grand evolutionary scale, it's way more complicated if you were to actually watch any tribe throughout time but generally speaking that's where the classes come from and then you've got so these mutton baileys these early castles and then they become castles and they have their own little system and what's very important is that it is a little system a little sanctuary and this is where i like i i i link this idea to dunbar's number this anthropological study theory sort of thing that says, it's a rule that says we can't really, as humans, we can't be familiar with more than 150 people at a time. That's the maximum. And we can have, and, and there's like levels of person, personal relationship. So the basic acquaintance, like knowing someone well enough to like remember their name, know what they're about, just feel like you know them on a personal level, not being close to them, but you know you know them personally. Humans can generally only have 150 of those at the max. And when it comes to knowing someone much more intimately, we are, it's only like 20 of those. And, and then more like knowing someone as well as a family member, we only have around less than 10 of those or something like that. And you can know hundreds of people, but 
the more you know, the more restricted it is. I've realized after learning about Dunbar's number, I've realized, okay, so this is why I'm having such a hard time remembering the names of people that I've spent a lot of time with. After I went out and joined an improv club, my friends list on Facebook, it would always float at 150 for years, years and years. I could never get it past 150, which is interesting. Then after joining improv, it went up to eventually up to like 400. And I think it floats at around 400, maybe 500 friends on Facebook. And more than I ever used to, I'll see someone I hadn't seen in like six months who I've spent, who I've known for a couple of years. And I'll just have tr so much trouble remembering their name or what they do or something. I'll know their face, but that's it. And it'll be so strange and frustrating. So the point I'm making is just how real this limit is, this human limit of only knowing, uh, only having the capacity to know so many people at a time. And it's interesting to think in a time period when there were all these castle keeps and small communities and they, if they didn't exceed the number of 150 people per community, that means everyone will know each other really well. No one will be a stranger to each other unless someone makes themselves a stranger to each other, to, to the others. And, and if that were the case, on a great scale, where like every, nearly, or the vast majority of civilizations in the world were running at that level, what would be, what would be the result of that? How much peace would there be? Would there be order or would there be more disorder? But also, what would innovation be like? Where would innovation come from? How much do we need? Um, how much do we need disorder? And at what scale for people to be innovative? Deep stuff, man. Oh, another misconception about the Middle Ages is uh, famous torture devices and all, all. Well, just a lot of the dank shit in general, like the torture devices, rights of the people being taken away by the church and all that. Um, Plagues, I think there were more plagues after the, like before and after the Middle Ages, I could be wrong. Anyway, a lot of this stuff didn't happen until the end of the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance. There's a really big misclassification, or there's a very strict context to the classification. Because Renaissance means enlightenment, but there was an enlightenment of mathematics, arts, geometry, technology but there was a massive regression in human rights at Renaissance period. While there was more classism in, in the medieval period, human life was, I think, supposed to be more valuable and more equal amongst the sexes too, which is strange to think, but um, that, that changed when, when there were some bishops and popes in control in the late Middle Ages to early Renaissance period who were very prudish and uh, made up all these rules about the human body being sinful and all this stuff. And there were bigger populations, more people living in cities and things, and then, but still not having a proper sewage system most of the time. So there, were, there was more susceptibility to the populations of outbreaks of plague and pandemics. Well, I may as well talk about this 10-minute procrastination hack.
Did I talk about it already making this podcast? Maybe. I've been making this thing for like a week. <laughs> um, so, if you're having trouble getting things done, especially in this time where we're all stuck at home and not just doing the things that are easy or entertaining, write down a list of things you'd like to get done that are, you know, work-related or creative or just tasks. Pick out the most difficult one. That's the one to do at the beginning of the day, if you can do it. That's the frog. That's There's some self-help book that talks about eating the frog. I haven't read it, but uh, you, you get the worst task done at the beginning of the day, and then you feel quite accomplished. You don't even have to get the whole task done. This is where this 10-minute thing comes in. So if you have trouble sticking to something for a long time, you set a timer for 10 minutes, and you just do as much as you can do in that 10 minutes. Even if it's nothing, even if it's just like sitting and staring at the thing you need to do. Um, and then you do something else for 10 minutes. Or you take a break and come back to it. I think I already said this. Well, even if I did, who cares? <laughs> I need to finish off this podcast. Well, it's been working for me. I've been using it the last few days. And when I actually do it, I do actually get work done. I managed to successfully update my um, acting resume. I also want to just give a shout out to this series of apps that like have they're kind of like the brain trainer games except it's for music theory so there's complete rhythm trainer music reading trainer and ear trainer separate ones and if you kind of don't know where to start learning music theory man this is actually pretty good you just play little really basic games they make they put music theory into basic games to help you learn it and it's working i think <laughs> it's kind of boring but i mean if it's one of those things where you just make yourself do it for 10 minutes or you just make yourself do a small section at a time um you can make quite a bit of progress anyway i'm not sure if i said this before but to those very few people who listen to this if you want to collaborate at all, if you want to make a podcast together about anything, even if you don't know what it's about and we just talk shit for however long, reach out and contact me. Especially if you know me. <laughs> if you don't know me, then mm, might take some, some convincing. But, uh, man, screw it. Anyway, you get to each other because yourselves. Bloody peace out, folks. Thank mm-hmm. you.